0: 45678910. It's Tuesday, friends, so that can only mean one thing. Well, it can probably mean a lot of things, but in this context it can only mean one thing, and that is the latest episode of Coming Up Next with Alistair Marks me so it's kind of weird that i'm saying my own name but i am beyond excited about sharing today's interview with you friends because today i have sitting across from me having a ramble having a chinwag sharing his immense experience and his extraordinary insights from a 50 plus year career in the music industry i feel so humbled and, and grateful to have been given the opportunity to sit down with a man who has done an immeasurable amount for not only the Australian music industry but for music on a global scale. Uh, this was, this was a really yeah. Uh, huh. I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of a bit lost for words. Um, I don't really know how to fully express the gratitude that I have for this great human being um, for sitting down with me and having a chat. So. Not going to go on anymore. Um, I hope you enjoy my interview. Coming up next, Molly Meldrum. Cool. Um, I, I guess I just wanted to thank you, Molly, for, for doing this podcast in advance. It's very cool. Um, I've had a number of people on this, on on the show, um, people like Sam and Michaela Bannis and Um, some other friends of mine as well and I guess the reason that I started doing this podcast is because I sort of hit a point in my life where I've become a bit philosophical I guess about why it is that I've chosen to pursue a creative career and so I've become really interested in chatting to people who have um, are on the cusp of forging a career or like yourself have had a long sustained career Um, and I guess just asking about things you know how it is that you feel that you've sustained the career, the sort of lessons that you've learned, but also, you know, that things don't need to be taken so seriously as well. Um, You're right. (laughs) uh, Because, you know, I think I certainly fall into a trap of, of maybe being too earnest or too serious about my work at times. And then when I fall out of that trap, I think especially when I come here and work with you and we, kind of get into a groove of things, like when we've done some stuff for MTV or um, Music Max or whomever else, we kind of find that rhythm where things just become a bit lighter. Is that My God,
1: it has to be with my filming. (laughs) I can't be serious for too long.
0: No, no. um, I don't think, and I think that, you know, life's too short to be taken seriously, to borrow an old saying.
1: Yeah, I agree with that and I disagree because in any career... Uh, they have to take their job seriously and their career seriously. And, but on the same token, enjoy life as well. You know, uh, And it can be very demanding uh, being a, a cameraman and being a film crew uh, because you're asked to do uh, the job uh, here, uh, either talking about Music Max or MTV or whatever. And then you have to move on to something else but on that day. So you go from the light and the shade. Mm. Um, and I would say with me, it's more the shade than
0: the light. It's <laughs> funny you should say that, actually, while we were um, waiting um, for the, the film crew that you just had in here, I got a call from the project about going and doing a shoot for them this afternoon. So it's very kind of contrasting, I guess, um, to this. But I wanted to talk more about uh, you, I guess, and your life and... You know, I did a little bit of research on the Wikipedia and on um, looked on uh, through your book as well. And I mean, there's there's so much that I personally don't know about you. You know, starting from I guess you know, what sort of bearing do you think a person's upbringing has on the sort of career path that they choose? Do you think it's like a nature versus nurture sort of thing?
1: Well, I think it's uh, a case of two things. Um, One a natural talent, for whatever it may be. Uh, and the second one is um, the upbringing you have. And with me, I had a very mixed upbringing uh, with uh, not just a dysfunctional family, but I was always living either with my grandmother or my aunties, my uncles. So with my grandma, uh, who taught me so much when I was growing up about... Accepting people you know Her famous thing she'd say to me was you know remember son you must uh, Believe that no one is above you But more importantly is no one is below you and you treat everyone the same and treat them equally And i'll try to live by that
0: I think you do a very good job of living by that. You're always very welcoming whenever I come over and there's always people constantly coming through your door
1: Yeah, I enjoy the company of people you know Mm. I mean sitting uh, just over there is uh, David Tonner, who was my producer for Hey Hey. And David and I <laughs> went through some very uh, fun times of uh, coping and doing interviews with uh, Hey Hey at Saturday and coping with someone like John Blackman uh, in the booth, hearing Mr. Meldrum, Mr. Meldrum, and like, Oh, here comes Dickie, you know, God, what's going to happen next? Yeah? <laughs> and Daryl is a, sw- a real sweetheart. Uh, and then people like Red. Willie, Russell Gilbert, Fifey, Denise, all those sort of people. It was a lot of fun Mm. to do, you know. Uh, With Countdown, uh, we were a team and that was the most important thing. We were a team. And uh, that was a really, no one was above you, no one below you, you know. Everyone was equal, you know. And uh, so Countdown uh, was, yes, it was a great success, but there was a lot of, hard serious work to do you know and to think about you know
0: mm. talking about hey hey saturday it kind of takes me i mean that was my childhood was sort of saturday night with with my brother who's producing the show you know we'd go we'd get our fish and chips on a saturday night sit down as a family and we'd watch hey hey it's saturday to then sort of flash forward to this point in time where i actually have the uh, honor of sitting here and chatting to you about this is quite That's remarkable for me um, one of the things that strikes me as I'm doing my research um, about you is I guess how much uh, timing has played a sort of part in your especially in your early career.
1: Absolutely. I mean, being at the right place at the right time was very much part of my life, you know. And uh, then moving in after I moved out of my in Melbourne and living with uh, Ronnie Burns but his mum, his dad, uh, Uncle Bob and Auntie Edna uh, and his brother Frank was a great experience and Ronnie got into music like the same time as I did. He then went into a band and then eventually became Ronnie Burns. Um, Auntie Edna was wonderful with her show business ability. Uh, Uncle Bob was a butcher. So it was a lot of fun back then in, in Buckley Street and Elwood. And then we both fell in love with the Beatles and I became... Well, there is only one way of saying it. It's not been cruel to me, but I became a groupie. <laughs> there is no a Beatles groupie. it. And yeah, you know, I was thrown out of the Beatles concert at Festival Hall for screaming out, "John, I love you," "Paul, I love you." You know? <laughs> too much for the bouncers. They threw me out, and I don't blame them.
0: <laughs> How did they throw? You? Tell me, tell me about getting thrown out of the Beatles concert. They just picked me up and said, "Come with me. You're going out."
1: And Paul, Ronnie. Because he tried to defend me, he was thrown out as well, and uh, I still maintain some on those doors at Festival Hall, at Festival Hall, uh, possibly scratch marks <laughs> on me trying to get back in. <laughs>
0: That's quite an interesting turn from that, because you get kicked out of this Beatles concert, you go, you start working for Go Set, you move over to the UK, start well, working I'd, for I'd Apple Records
1: the with your Go Set. I think of it, and then um, a friend of mine had started this. Uh, newspaper, uh, a weekly newspaper, uh, a newspaper called uh, Ghosted, and then they asked me um, if I'd like to do a story on Ronnie Burns, um, which I did, and then they gave me a job uh, as a reporter for Ghosted, which was just fantastic, you know. Mm. I was only paid uh, back then, I think my wage was £10 a week back then when we hadn't gone into the, the whole dollar thing. It was a great experience. And I mean, it was just down the road from, uh, from where I lived in Elwood, and uh, it was a great experience. And then I then tried to become a serious uh, reporter and uh, would actually um, try to type, type my own copy. But then I had this wonderful girl that worked there called Glennis, So she became my uh, convert in arms and would do the thing. But it was also, we were like a family there as well, like a team. And we'd have to put together the paper uh, and get it out to the printers. And that's where I knew that teamwork and being part of a team was the best thing in the world, you know. Mm. Um, And when I look at the world today, even with, say, our young tennis players, I think they may be a little bit isolated, that it's all, a lot of it is to do with them. And they have to go out, you know, on the centre court, whether it be at the Rod Laver uh, for the Australian Open or um, Wimbledon. Uh, they're by themselves a bit, you know, they've got their managers and their agents, but you know they're out there and they can't talk to uh, the coaches uh, while the game's on. So it can be a bit isolated, you know. And in today's world, with someone like young Nick Curious, Mm. And, you know, he comes out there and he's listening to his music and he's got the earphones on or whatever <clears throat> and looking very trendy. Um, I think at times Nick forgets that he is going to be and is now a brilliant tennis player. Mm. And stop trying to be the rock star or the rapper or whatever it may be, you know, mm. uh, and concentrate on that, you know. Um, and that's where I feel felt so sorry for someone like, uh, Justin Bieber because the, the young man had so much talent from one back as a musician, as a singer, uh, and then learned to be a songwriter. Uh, but there was too much thrown on him too, too fast. Too much too soon. Um, he was trying to grow up as well, you know? Mm. Uh, he was diff-
0: only like 16 or something, wasn't he? When yeah. He, when he started. 15, I think. Yeah.
1: And Asher was wonderful to him, the whole thing like that, but it's really hard to guide young people like through that you know mm. uh, i think that um one direction have handled it very well under simon and at five seconds of summer they are very grounded and very down to earth you know shepherd are another band from uh, australia that really are very feet on the ground and that's good to see and then you've got people like um well most of australian acts are very grounded mm. and it plays good for them mm. and they've got the talent there to back it up you know
0: well, there was a great um, quote that I read from Elton John in your book, which was, um, if anybody's got a bit of talent, if they go for it, they can succeed. And how true do you think that is? How, how much do you think ta- – how far do you think talent gets you then it becomes about hard work, the people behind? Well, it. I think um, you've
1: always got to put in the hard work. But I firmly believe that a lot of it comes down to being a natural talent because you cannot – I don't think really, not cultivate, but fake it, you know. It has to be there somewhere, you know. Mm. And in the case like that, I mean, even, you know, back to the days of Kylie, um, amazing. The pleasure I've had to work with as a producer with, even way back then with Russell Morris, Colleen Hewitt, then uh, in Desmond Session, Peter Andre. It's been a real pleasure because they've all had one way or another natural talent mm. as like with justin Bieber, you know then you look at you know they become friends of mine from beyonce obviously madonna rihanna and the list goes on you know mm. and they're down to earth people and they're hard-working yeah i think that's people. the key isn't it yeah
0: the tenacity and the hard work. i mean kylie was slammed a bit when she first yeah, started
1: more than that she was maligned mm. and she stood tall and uh she just recently, um, last week, did a concert in, uh, in London at Hyde Park. And Michael Kaczynski was there. Um, and Michael said she was just amazing. Wow. She but she stood it. firm. I mean, you know, like at times, you know, the critics here were so cruel on her, you know. Mm. Way back growing up, you know, calling her a singing budgie and all that. But she and, and her family, with Brendan, with Danny... And with mum and dad, they were strong enough to cope with that, you know? And you have to, you know? Mm. And going back, which I spoke to you before about Nick Curious, you know, he has got a natural talent as a tennis player. And he's got a great demeanour when he wants it. But other times, just forget throwing tantrums on the thing. Look, I know, you know, John McEnroe did it way back. And John became a great friend of mine, you know. Mm. But we don't need that. That no need for it. None of that. We don't need it in football. We don't need it in uh, in tennis. We don't need it in cricket. Because when they get out of control, they get out of control and make complete fools of themselves, you know. Mm. And that's stupid, you know. It's a
0: bit primadonnaish
1: nowadays, isn't oh, it? too much.
0: And it's, I guess it's what happens when you're not, as you say, <clears throat> grounded. You don't have your feet on the ground, and you, you're not treating everyone as equals because you like you're elevated above them, yeah. or you're entitled to something else.
1: I mean, if you go back even to um, to uh, the boys from ACDC, you know they're all fantastic. Then you go to uh, Bon Jovi and John, Richie, uh, Tico—they're all fantastic people, you know. Mm. Uh, Mick and Keith, Ronnie. They are fantastic people. David Bowie was a fantastic person, you know. So, you know, learn your craft and use it wisely, you know. Mm. And don't be the prima donna, you know. I mean, we see shows on, on telly, reality shows of the divas, this and that, and you think, oh, my God, what's happening next, you know. Mm,
0: good grief. I'd like to uh, uh, backtrack a little bit, if I may, um... Something that really struck me was um, going back to this idea of timing that we were talking about and how pertinent it was for you in the early parts of your career. And when um, you did move over to the UK with Go Set and then you got a gig working with Apple Records, Uh um, working quite closely with the Beatles a number of years after you'd been kicked out of their concert. And I remember you telling me a story about John Lennon pulling you into an interview with him and you, you did this great interview and you sent it back.
1: I'm not sure it was a great interview, but in that time <clears throat> with him and Yoko at Apple in uh, in London, they chose me because I was working there at Apple on off, but also I was a young re- record producer back then and worked at Abbey Road because of Russell Morris and, and all of that and Colin Hewitt. So it was a bit of everything, you know? And yes, John pulled me in and then came with this interview and I... But so nervous, I probably wasn't listening to it properly. Sent it back, and it wasn't until they rang out of the blue and said, "Did well, you told told us the Beatles are breaking up?" I said, "Well, how would I tell? You? I don't know." And they said, "What are you talking about?" And I said, "Where'd you hear that from?" They said, "It's in your, mm, it's in your interview." And I went, "Is it?" And then I had to go back. Oh my God, it is too. Mm, luck.
0: Well, I mean, there's an argument for saying that luck is just being prepared to take an opportunity and it's that timing thing. You're there, you're in the moment and you're prepared. You've done the hard work, you've got the talent and you're ready for that moment in time to come your way.
1: Well, I mean, I learned from that one anyway. Uh, But it doesn't matter who I'm interviewing, even if it's Kylie, even if it's uh, Beyonce, be it, whatever, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. Guy Sebastian, uh, Delta... If I'm doing an interview for them or with them, I always go back and look at all my research, do the questions, write them down, go over them again and again, and then try to pull them away and have a conversation with them. Mm. But I know where I'm heading with it, you know? Mm. And at times with interviewers, they write out a list of questions one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever. And because they're not listening properly, at times, come to question three they may answer inadvertently five seven eight yeah you know? and because if they're not listening properly um goes to you know then question seven the subject goes um i already answered that mm. i'll I answer that one as well yeah you know? so you have to be careful because there's nothing worse than that because with the uh person in question the subject oh my god what are we doing here you know there's, person has no idea what he's doing or Mm. she's doing you know so one has to be careful. Mm.
0: If I may uh, ask you what was it what did it feel like when you did realize that you'd broken this story of the Beatles breaking up having been such a big fan?
1: Well it appeared in Rolling Stone in America uh, and then the English papers and all that I didn't really think of it being anything great Uh, the same as you know during the years of Countdown as much as we became really aware in the end how big it was becoming, we never looked at it that way, you know? Mm. We moved on to the next thing and tried to
0: do the best for the next thing we had to do, you know? Mm. So you mentioned Countdown uh, in that as well, talking about coming out of the Beatles. And again, I was struck by the fact that it was almost a chance meeting um, with Robbie Weeks and Michael Shrimpton at the Botanical Mm -hmm. Hotel that kind of got you this gig. Yep. That's not to say that you weren't deserving of it or that um, it wasn't something that you they may have thought of you for otherwise, but the way that the story, I understand it, was that they were having a meeting at the Botanical Hotel. You you came to get um, a bottle of whiskey. Yep. And uh, they said, that's the guy we want for our show. Yeah, because I'd worked with Robbie. Um, Robbie worked with the O-10
1: Network back then on Commotion and then uptight in the Happening 70s series. Then he joined the ABC and worked with Michael, who's one of the heads. And they were in there talking to them, and I walked in, and, and uh, Robbie said, well, he actually said, well, that's the cunt we need, right there, you know. <laughs> and so they put it to me. Yeah. And I became talent coordinator, and so I went from there. Mm. At that stage, I was doing a kid Shine on Channel 7.
0: Yeah, right. I did, I'm sure, did the thought ever dawn on you about you know how differently things might have gone had you gone somewhere else for that bottle of whiskey uh yeah absolutely mm. you know that i was brought up jewish and my family's jewish yep. people who are listening know i've talked about this before I, you know and i love i'm very curious about people's beliefs and faiths was there any religious uh sort of upbringing that you had you know i was brought up high church of england
1: with my grandma my mother uh and uh Was an older boy, believe it or not. And then, you know, once I got older and started traveling a lot, I became fascinated in India with the Hindu thing. Obviously in Thailand on that with the Buddhist thing. Uh, And then with Egypt with uh, the Quran, and that. So I learned so much Mm. uh, and tried to
0: understand it and work it out, you know. Do you believe that there is uh, a meaning to life and why we're here and what we're here to do? yeah just to be kind to people Mm.
1: and be good to yourself and be very caring about other people yes
0: Mm. it's funny that's been a recurring thing that a lot of people um, when when i've brought that up with them in this podcast have said that the underlying thing seems to be just be nice to everyone just be generous you know and like you're saying no one's below you no one's above you and to kind of live that ethos Absolutely. I mean, if whoever is up there,
1: can they at least, before um, before I go, uh, can some of their please put something in the St Kilda and let them win another bloody grand final? <laughs>
0: Nicks a St Kilda supporter as well, actually. Oh, you poor thing. <laughs> um, what do you think? Um, you know, you said before you go, and hopefully you're around for. A long long time from now and i know that you're very um you're very modest in that you don't you know you don't consider yourself to be anything more than just a dude who's followed his heart and followed mm. his passion but what do you think or what do you hope your legacy will be oh my god my
1: legacy uh that in my travels and my journey that I was able to help uh, the dreams of other people. Um, like, as I said, from Russell to Colleen, Hewitt to um, Peter Andre, uh, all the people who worked on with me and myself and with my partner and uh, business partner, oh, my, dad, my <laughs> partner. Oh my God! I imagine if Michael Vincent was my partner, uh, we wouldn't be alive. I can tell you um, that I was able to help them and help them live their dreams. You know, that's
0: beautiful. Do you remember the first time that you um, that you entertained people, or that you knew that you wanted to pursue a career in entertainment? Uh, yeah, I do,
1: uh, because. With my grandma and then in my parents' place, I used to dream about being the uh, conductor of an orchestra. And so when they'd all go, I'd whack on the the record player back then, as old as it was, and get a a fruit box or something, stand on it with uh, a wooden spoon, and conduct an orchestra. (laughs) And one time, my mother came home and went, what on earth are you doing? I went, oh, uh, just cleaning up. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she whacked me with a wooden spoon. No, she'd never whack me in my life. And that was when you knew that. Yeah, that was that. I wanted to be part of that. Yeah,
0: it's mm. quite remarkable. Um, I like to uh, end the conversation by um, asking, "What makes you silly?" Because I am. <laughs> or is there? I'm
1: silly because I am. i like a sense of humor and uh i think you know sometimes people take themselves too seriously Mm. and uh and the egos get above them and themselves and uh i just don't like that in people
0: Mm. i guess um just to round it out what sort of advice would you have for someone like me who's trying to forge a career and trying to uh Make a sustainable income in a a career and uh, industry that's fraught with instability. Fraught with instability? Well, then, Alistair, all I can think in is
1: um, forget being Jewish, uh, (laughs) join the priesthood, and try to go to the Vatican. (laughs)
0: No, I'm joking. There's some nice paintings there.
1: No, for you, Alistair, because you are talented, um, just pursue that dream and uh, you are very patient and you get along with um, all. Ever work with the artists, certainly with uh uh the crew, uh we'd always just laughing, thinking, How in the hell did we get through that? <laughs>
0: and does it make sense? Yeah. Every time. Well that was that was that was great, Molly. Thank you so much for, for taking cool. the time to do this. And
1: look, to um anyone that has listened to your wonderful thing, uh just believe in yourself, you know. Mm. But don't be selfish. Don't, you know, be so up yourself that you think that no one else can't, because that is not the way to live. Mm. Uh, and care about everyone. If you can help, then help. Uh, and be understanding. Surely with understanding and love. Um, and you know, even going back to a Beatles song will give a piece a chance, you know. Mm. And in this country, we are lucky that we have so many different nationalities that all make up the fabric of our lives, you know. And racism and all that is not part of our life not part of our living mm. and uh and just you know be
0: understanding you know i think um to borrow another beatles song all you need is love yeah and very and it's probably so. never been more pertinent in the yeah. world than now
1: very much so you know the world needs a big just a big um, hug well the song that i love more than any other song mm. uh it's my all-time favorite anyhow and it just sums up what we've been talking about is uh john lennon With Imagine. Yeah.
0: Listen to that song and... I got goosebumps. There you go. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thank you so much, Molly. I could sit here and ask you questions for about two years, I think. Um, So thank you very much for taking the time. That's why that fucking book's called The Never Ever... (laughs) story. story. (laughs) Thanks, Molly. All right. Well, a huge, gigantic... Coming up next, thank you to Ian Molly Meldrum for sitting down with me and sharing a small part of his life and just some extraordinary insights and lessons that he's learned along the way. I'll be back the same time next week with a woman who has had a remarkable and quite simply prolific career. She has graced the television screen. She has been a pop singer. She's been a motivational speaker. She's even released a meditation CD. She's had over 30 years of experience in this industry. Coming up next, Toddy Goldsmith. And don't forget to tune in to the Weekend Ramble, where I ramble solo. And you can find us on the social media, facebook.com slash CUN podcast. Have a beautiful week, friends. We'll see you next Tuesday.